0: of heights to the depths of the
1: sea. It says in verse 1, it says, Then all the tribes, after this had happened, after Ishbosheth was murdered, then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, and they spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your, and your flesh. And this indeed is true, because after all, aren't all the twelve tribes, didn't they all come from Jacob? Every
0: creature unique in the sun. Exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. With snow. Prior to this, only one of the tribes of Israel recognized David as king. The other tribes recognized the pretend king, Isbosheth, a son of Saul. Isbosheth was murdered as recorded in 2 Samuel 4. So now the tribes turned to David. The elders of Israel received David's leadership because he was an Israelite himself. This was significant because of the period of time David lived as a Philistine. The elders of Israel put that aside and embraced David as one of their own. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, Already in Progress.
1: These were the kind of men we call opportunists. When the, the tide begins to turn on, on one kingdom, they see another kingdom rising, and they're thinking, we can ingratiate ourselves to David. All we've got to do is take out Ishbosheth," and that's exactly their mind frame, and that's exactly what they do. And we'll see that as we go. And we're also going to understand another possible motive was because Be'eroth, this town, it was intertwined with the lives of the Gibeonites who ended up being servants to Israel based on a covenant that had gone bad. You remember back in Joshua as they were coming into the land that the men from Gibeon had made a false covenant. They claimed to be from a far land, but what the Israelites in Joshua didn't know is that they were just from a neighboring town. God's design was to wipe them out because of their idolatrous worship. And, and so when these men who feigned to be coming from afar and looked like they'd been wearing the same clothes for weeks and certainly smelling pretty bad, they come to the, the guys in Joshua and, and they say, we're from a far land and we want to make a covenant with you. And they do. They make a covenant with them and they make them promises that they're not going to harm them. And then Joshua finds out later that they're just not too far away and they, they deceive them under a pretense And so now, because God takes these oaths very seriously, now Israel has now got a covenant with a people that God had doomed to death because of their idolatry. You can see how, and so these men, these Baerathites, were among the Gibeonites. They were in the same area. And also in 2 Samuel chapter 21, which is close to the end of the book, it tells us that Saul had murdered, during his uh, reign as king, he murdered some of these Gibeonites. And of course, these Bearethites knew about this. They were among the same group. They kind of shared the same area. And so could it be that these men, these two men, Reshab and Baana? Maybe they are getting revenge at last. It could be. It's interesting, when you think of these two brothers going after and killing Ishbosheth. when you look in the scripture, we see that there are other brothers who committed atrocities in the Bible. There's something about a brother. (laughs) Because they grow up together, I often see my brother, my big brother, you know, and... um, I know he would do anything for me. If I had ever had an enemy, uh, a real grave enemy, my brother would be right there by my side. And there's something about two brothers that are blood brothers. There's a there's a bond there, and they share the same heart, the same mind. They have the same passion usually, and and it's no surprise that we see these two men coming after Ishbosheth and doing it together as brothers. We saw the very same thing when um, Abner was killed, when Saul's commander was killed. Who was it that did it? The Bible tells it. It wasn't just Joab. It tells us in 2 Samuel 3, verse 30, that Joab and Abishai, his brother, they killed Abner. The two brothers, they probably hatched a plan, came up with a device to kill Abner. And what about in Genesis 34? Simeon and Levi going after the men of Shechem, for Shechem, his son, raped, remember, their sister Dinah. And in retribution for that act, Simeon and Levi go and they, have, they make a, a, a promise with the men of Shechem and saying, the only way we're going to be fellowship with you guys and trade and, and, and intermarry between each other is if all the males get circumcised, and so they do. And about the third day, when they're all very sore and can probably barely stand up, Levi and Simeon go in and they slaughter all the males in retribution for their sister's rape. Something about brothers, certainly it's not all bad. <laughs> There's a lot of good things that brothers do, but in, in these few cases, uh, certainly treachery, certainly murder. But in verse 7, back in our text, it says, For when they came into the house, notice these two men, these Baerathites, Baena and Um, his brother. They came into the house and he was lying on his bed and they struck him and killed him. And notice they beheaded him and they took his head and were all night escaping through the plain. So this is a pretty long jaunt that these men are taking. Picture a, a map, if you will, and on the east side of the Jordan River near the Jabbok River they kill this man, they cut his head off, and they take the head, and they run through the plain, going east across the Jordan River, into the promised land, and then going south further till they finally come to Hebron, where David was located at that time. And it says in verse eight, and they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and, and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul your enemy. You know I wonder what the how their voice might have been. You know, thinking that they were doing David some great service by bringing the head of his enemy. But was he really an enemy of David? No. In fact, David didn't even consider Saul as an enemy. Isn't that amazing? Yet Saul was the one who was pursuing David like a lion chasing a gazelle through the African safari. David didn't see this man as an enemy. Even the man who was hunting him. He didn't see as an enemy. He loved the man. He respected him. I'm sure he didn't like what was happening. But these men, they they didn't know the heart of David. They thought they were going to be, this was going to be some great prize for David. Some great reward might be given them for bringing the head of Ishbosheth. Now the kingdom is yours, David. (laughs) No longer just Judah, but all the other 11 tribes. It's all yours. Look at the head. Look at the head. Sorry to be so grotesque, but after all, I am a male. You know, you can get a hold up ahead, you know. So here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who you sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my Lord the king this day of Saul and his descendants. But notice David, he answered Rechab and Baena, his brother, the sons of Ramon, the Bearethite. And I love how the Bible mentions that again, somehow to reinforce who these guys really are. And he said to them, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity, and I can almost, at this point, the the key turns to minor. You know, these guys are happy, thinking that things are going to be good for them, they're going to get a reward, maybe even get a a nice place and a position in David's cabinet, perhaps, for doing such a noble deed. (laughs) And as soon as David says, as the Lord lives, and the tone of David, can you imagine each word as David speaks, the Stomachs of these men are sinking and sinking and sinking, thinking, oh my goodness, what did we do? We're going to get it. As the Lord lives who has redeemed my life, David said, from all adversity, when someone told me, saying, and here David is recalling an event not too long ago. He says, look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news to me. He says, I arrested him, and I had him executed in Ziklag. The one who thought I would have given him a reward for his news. You know, it seems like these guys did not get the internal memo emailed to them. Or maybe it ended up in spam. I don't know. But they didn't get the memo that David's heart was not like theirs. In fact, David's heart was very different from most kings. That's what made him more worthy to be king. His mercy, his grace. He wasn't a bloodthirsty man like his nephew Joab. David was a merciful man, and that's what makes him a great king. That's what makes any man a great man. He was very merciful, very gracious, and he only meted out death when it was in battle or when it was deemed so by the law of God. But these men did not know the heart of David, and neither were they paying attention. You remember in Second Samuel chapter 1, the very first chapter of this book, it records for us that after Saul was killed, remember as Saul was dying there on Mount Gilboa, he had a fatal wound, but he, he wasn't dying. And so he goes to his armor bearer and he says, fall on your, you know, kill me. And, and, and the armor bearer said, I can't do that. And so Saul put the sword on himself and he, he falls on the sword, but he's still not dead, but he's laying there kind of lifeless, but still alive, unbeknownst to his armor bearer, who realizes that his master's dead and decides, I gotta go out too. So he kills himself. But yet Saul is still kind of alive, and an Amalekite comes upon him. And you remember what happens. The Amalekite finishes him off. And in fact, he brings the the crown and the bracelet that Saul had, and he brings them to David expecting to receive some kind of reward. And David says, Didn't you have any did you have a didn't you have a problem killing the Lord's anointed? Did you have no problem doing that? What's the matter with you? And David got on his case and had him killed. It wasn't David's heart that Saul would die. Saul wasn't or David wasn't going to touch Saul. He wasn't going to touch anybody who didn't deserve death. He was going to leave that in the hands of the Lord. He says, How is it that you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And then David called one of the young men and said, go near him and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. And David said to him, your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Again, just another interesting facet of David's character. And so back in verse 11 in our text, it says, how much more then he speaks to these two men? You know, as they're standing there with the head of Ishbosheth, he says, How much more then, when wicked men have killed a righteous person, he calls Ishbosheth a righteous person, that you kill him in his own bed, in his own house. Therefore, shall I not now require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? <laughs> not a good idea to come to David with somebody's body. It never was. So David, verse 12, commanded his young men and they executed him and they cut off their hands and their feet and they hanged them by the pool in Hebron, but they took the head of Ishbosheth and they buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. And so um, it's interesting that these two men committed treachery against their own tribe even though there was some animosity between them and the other Israelites. But in the Middle East, the cutting off of the hands and feet, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but it was a custom for those who were executed for treason. This is what they would do. And so this was what had happened to them. Let's go ahead and look at 2 Samuel chapter 5. I would encourage you as we read 2 Samuel 4 and 5 to cross-reference first. Chronicles chapter 11 and 12 you can read a lot about some details and events that were going on at this time some of it is similar and some there's a there's a few other tidbits of information that aren't recorded here for us but if you look at first chronicles 11 and 12 you'll you'll be able to fill in some of the blanks of this it says in verse 1 it says then all the tribes after this had happened after Ishbosheth was murdered then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, and they spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your, and your flesh. And this indeed is true, because after all, aren't all the twelve tribes, didn't they all come from Jacob, who came from Isaac, who came from Abraham, who came from Shem, which means that they're Semitic? Anybody who came from the line of Shem is a Semitic people, and the Jews were, who ultimately came from Adam. And so they definitely, definitely were one bone and one flesh because Judah was what David came from. And here they are, the 12 tribes, standing before him. And the fact that all Israel came to David at Hebron is a miracle, if you think of it, because of what had just happened to Joab, or what had happened to Abner as a result of Joab's hatred and as his, as his revenge. And we also see, you know, it's a miracle too because... You know, those two men come after Ishbosheth, and they kill Ishbosheth. And everyone is thinking to themselves, "I bet David has something to do with this. Certainly Joab. I'm certainly David had something to do with that, but but David had nothing to do with it. And now that Ishbosheth's dead, there's probably rumors going around that somehow David had something to do with this, but he had nothing to do with it. And the reason I bring this up, because whenever God makes a promise, as he did concerning David, you can count on the fact that the devil will be at work to confuse. He's going to counteract the promise. He's going to try and thwart that promise, that blessing, that decree that God has made. Whenever God has something that he said he is going to do in your life, too, brothers and sisters, when God has a plan for your life, too, You may be surprised to know that as you fulfill that calling, whatever it is that God has called you to do, there will be a great peace, but don't um, misunderstand if there is a very great battle. Because oftentimes when you are in the middle of God's will, sometimes the battle can be the heaviest and the, the confusion and the spiritual warfare is at its greatest when you are on the brink of standing in the middle of God's will and you're going forward and doing what he has called you to do, those are the times... That you can have great peace and there are other times where you can feel like you're just in the bed of hell and feeling like everything is going wrong and your heart's racing and your mind is swirling in a million different places and confusion sets in, doubt sets in, and yet you are in the center of God's will. The devil would use this issue of vengeance in Joab's heart, certainly against Abner, and also the treachery of Ishbosheth's troop commanders to try and subvert what God had, had told that he was going to do concerning David. Because God had spoken and said that he is going to have David be the king over all of Israel. He made that proclamation. We'll look at that tonight. And when God has spoken, you can bet all of hell is going to come after it and try to keep it from happening. Because if, see if the devil can somehow keep David from being king over all of Israel the devil will have claimed that he thwarted God's promise, thwarted God's will from being done. It's kind of a fool's errand if you think of it. Because if God's will is to to have it done, guess what? It's going to be done. But see, the devil is not as smart as God. The devil is not as powerful as God. He's a created being. So God has a great advantage over the devil because God alone is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. There's no other being in the universe, including Satan himself, that has none of those things. Those three qualities belong to God alone. His omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. No one else, no other being in the universe has those three. And wouldn't you say that that's a pretty good advantage? And so the devil only knows what God allows him to know, how frustrating it must be for him. But he knows the scriptures. The devil knows the scriptures perhaps better than you and I. He knew the promises that had been made long ago. Through Isaiah, through Malachi. That the Savior would come through the line of Judah. It would come specifically through the line of David. The devil knows this. And he tried everything he could to thwart that from happening, to try and keep it from happening, because then he could thwart, he, in his mind, he could thwart the will of God at that point. Ah, <laughs> But how can you play chess with the one who's already checkmated you before the game has even begun, and that is God? I'm a chess player, and I like to play chess, and usually, if you're, I don't think I'm a really good chess player, But um, you always want to be three or four moves ahead of your opponent. But God can look at the chessboard as it's already set up and go, I win. (laughs) Go ahead and make your moves. I'm just telling you right now, you're checkmated. You can try the Queen's Gambit. You can do all the stuff that you want. I got it covered. In fact, I'll even blindfold myself. I'll turn away from the game and let you make a move. And I won't even look at the board. You can do all the moves and I'll just tell you, move the knight to B4. I move the, the rook to, you know, A6 or whatever, you know. I'll just tell you the pieces. You move them. But guess what? I win. God always wins. He never loses. So which side are you on? What side are you on? I want to be on the side of the one who knows all things. Amen? I want to be on the side of the one who knows me and knows you more than anything. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and I'm so glad, because I don't even know my own heart, and God knows me. He knows the very words that I'm going to speak. He knows the words that you're going to speak tomorrow at noon. He can tell you right now, if he chooses to, to tell you exactly what you're going to be thinking at noon, right on the dot. He can tell you exactly what you're going to eat tomorrow. He can tell you exactly where you're going to be tomorrow. You think you're going to be at work, but you could be dispatched to somewhere else. He knows all things, and I love him for that. But God's word stands, and nothing can thwart God's plans. Amen? Nothing can thwart God's plans. In Lamentations 3.37, what does it say? Who is he who speaks, and it comes to pass, when the Lord has not commanded it? (laughs) No one. When the Lord commands something, it gets done. It gets done. What about in Psalm 33, verses 8 through 11? Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. There is no one that can thwart the plan of God. Even the death of Abner and the death of Ishbosheth, which, for all accounts, for for all accounts, as you look at this, it doesn't look very good for David because all of David's enemies on the other side are dropping dead one by one by murder. And do you think the people of Israel are going to be excited about that? Do you think they're gonna they're not going to be thinking that David had something to do with this? It's making it now harder for him to get into the place that God had foreordained for him to be in. Does that make sense? He's got a lot of enemies. How is this going to work out when there's all this noise going on? How can he ascend to the throne when there's all this subterfuge and all these murders But throughout the Bible, we see Satan working against the revealed will and plan of God concerning God's plan, not only of redemption, but also for his restoration of Israel. Just really quickly, and when we look at Genesis 3.15, when it says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, Satan thought to pollute the human race using the Nephilim, these fallen angels uh, interbreeding with the, 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 the daughters of men. Whatever kind of weirdness that was, there's a lot to that. Satan tries to intermingle. He tries to thwart this plan, this death sentence, really, on Satan.
0: I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel.